0: Before Thee let my cry come me. O oh Lord, true to Thy word, teach me. Before We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, Well, greetings this Lord's Day, this third week of Advent, in the name of Jesus Christ. Peace. Today we are celebrating joy. Everybody say joy. joy. We should be a happy people, amen. amen. Uh, a people with abiding joy, joy that cannot be taken away with temporary difficulties and setbacks or the circumstances that we may find ourselves on any given day. Our joy is not tied to things that will pass away, but our joy is tied to the eternal. Amen. Amen. The joy of knowing who holds the future, and the joy of knowing who wins in the end. Amen. Another aspect of joy is that it doesn't depend on us. If it did, our joy would be shallow, it would be hollow. Israel understood this, and in Psalm 106, they saying these words, They said, Praise ye the Lord. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord, and who can show forth all his praise? Blessed are they that keep judgment, and he that doeth righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, with the favor thou bearest unto thy people, and visit me with thy salvation, that I may see the good of thy chosen, that I may rejoice in the gladness of thy nation, that I may glory with thine inheritance. Lord, we have sinned with our fathers, we have committed iniquity, and we have done wickedly. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but they provoked Him at the Red Sea, even at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, He saved them for His namesake, that He might make His mighty power to be known." He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it dried up. And so He led them through the depths, as though through a wilderness. And He saved them from the hand of them that hated them, and redeemed them from the hand of their enemies. And the waters covered their enemies, and there was not one of them left. Then believed they His words, and they sang His praise. But, what happens to the people of God after God's good to them? And things work out good, what do we always do? Everybody say, forget Yet yeah, verse thirteen, but they soon forgot his works, and they waited not for his counsel, but they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. He gave them their request, but he sent leanness into their soul, and they envied Moses in the camp, and Aaron, the saint of the Lord, The earth opened up and swallowed Dathan and covered the company of Abram, and a fire was kindled in their company, and a flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf and Horeb and worshipped the molten image and they exchanged their glory into the similitude of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God their Savior which had done great mighty things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham and terrible things by the Red Sea. Therefore he said that he would destroy them. Had not Moses his chosen stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath lest he should destroy them. Yea, they despised the pleasant land and they believed not his word, but they murmured in their tents and hearkened not unto the voice of the Lord. Therefore he lifted up his hand against them to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their seed among the nations and to scatter them in the lands. Could you imagine singing a song that recounted all the times you forgot God? That's what they're singing about. The people of Israel are singing about it because what they want to remember is that every time God is good to them, they always forget it. We are a people who need to be reminded. Therefore, he lifted up his hand against them to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their seed among the nations, to scatter them. They joined themselves at Baal Peor, and they ate sacrifices of the dead. They provoked him to anger with their inventions, and a plague broke upon them. Then stood up Phinehas and executed judgment so that the plague was stayed. And... That was counted unto him for righteousness and unto all generations of his forevermore. They angered him also at the waters of strife, so that they went ill with Moses for their sakes, and because they provoked his spirit, so that he spake unadvisedly with his lips. They did not destroy the nations as they were told concerning whom the Lord had commanded, but they were mingled among the heathen, and they learned their works. They served their idols, which was a snare unto them, and yea, they sacrificed their sons, even their daughters, unto devils. They shed innocent blood and in the blood of their sons and, the, and of their daughters whom they sacrificed under the idols of Canaan and the land that polluted with blood. I'll stop here for a second and I will say something uh, that I heard this week. We met with the Greater Columbus Right to Life and um, Beth, who is uh, the, I don't know what her title, executive director director of it, she was saying that if we could just get the church... To stop aborting their children, we would cut abortion down to so few that it would hardly be imaginable. You know, how many church people do this? And we we look at what the children of Israel did, and we think we could never do it. But yet, people that call themselves Christians do these very things. Thus were they defiled with their works, and they went whoring with their own inventions. And therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against his people, insomuch that he abhorred his own inheritance. He gave them into the hand of the heathen that they hated them and ruled over them and their enemies oppressed them and they were brought into subjection under their hand. Many times did He deliver them, but they provoked them with their counsel and they were brought low for their iniquity. Nevertheless, everybody say nevertheless. Nevertheless. He regarded their affliction and He heard their cry. God hears the cries of His people. This psalm is a psalm of real joy because the joy isn't in... We did good here, and we did better here, and we did fantastic here. The joy is that even though we didn't do what we said we would do, that God always does what He says He will do. Amen? Amen. He remembered them because of His covenant, and He repented according to the multitude of His mercies. He made them also to be pitied of all those that carried them captives, Save us, the psalmist cried. Save us, O Lord God. Gather us from among the heathen. Let us give thanks unto thy holy name and triumph in thy praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say amen and praise ye the Lord. So let's say it. Amen Amen. and praise ye the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. We oftentimes do not view ourselves like... Uh, the israelites but we are very much like them i pray today that our joy would be the abiding joy that comes from knowing that you are faithful when we are not that you love us when our hearts are turned cold against you and that you have called us and chosen us and that you will complete the work that you have begun in us today as we gather before you lord forgive our sins lord speak to us from your word change us lord feed us from heaven and send us out to do good works that you have ordained that we should do. In Christ's name we pray and all the church said again. Amen. Amen. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Please remain standing for just a few moments as I read my text for you today. I was thinking as we did all the readings, if you haven't gotten your Bible reading in this week, you've got about five chapters, I think, today so far, so uh, you can be thankful for that. Our text is not that long, it's in uh, Exodus chapter 15, uh, starting out in verse 19, Exodus 15:19. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them but the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea then Miriam the prophetess the sister of Aaron took a tambourine in her hand and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing and Miriam sang them a song sing unto the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously the horse and the rider thrown into the sea let us pray Lord, we long to hear from you today, and so we look to your word, and we ask you to speak to our hearts and teach us, Lord. According to your word, you teach us through stories, through statutes, through commandments, through judgments, and Lord, we see many of those things in our story and in our text today, and we pray that you would bring them out, illuminate them, and change us by them. In Christ's name we pray. Everybody said amen. amen. You may be seated. Can you imagine this? In our text, they watched what happened to Egypt happen before their eyes. And Exodus chapter 15 talks about Moses singing a song. And this is in our text. Miriam is singing and she's got a tambourine. It almost reminds you of... Uh, You know, if we could have heard what they would say in our modern culture, somebody might, they may have said, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last, right? That's probably what they were thinking. You see, days earlier, there was no light at the end of a very, very dark tunnel. Their generation and the ones that had gone before had been relegated to the rigors of hopeless slavery, uh, and this Advent time is a season of remembering that the world waited for thousands of years for the coming of Christ. And so not only were they waiting for the coming of, uh, they were waiting for the coming of anything at this point, And that's where they were. But they were like many others. Difficult and uncertain in many ways. We cannot even imagine what their lives may have been like. But the very hope that someone would come really changed everything for them you understand when, you know, if, you, if you're, if you you know, I don't know, I always go to movies a lot of times, I think of movies, you know, when we're watching a movie and someone's, you know, locked up and they're in trouble and they can't get out, in your mind you know that the hero is going to come, like that's the, I couldn't watch it, if I saw them there and they were in their difficult, like I, I really need to know Bill, that someone's coming, you know, they're not just it would, there wouldn't be a story if they were just filming the person and then no one came. I mean, how many people would go pay to see that again? Not me, you know? So you go to it and, and you know, yes, they're in a difficult situation. Yes, the tension is mounting. Yes, the drama is getting worse. But someone's going to come and, and they believe this. The four weeks of Advent focus on hope. Everybody say hope, hope. faith, faith. Joy. joy. And our final week, next week, will be on love. Remember, hope lights the match in the darkness. Faith walks out of the darkness into light. But where faith walks and even runs, everybody say, joy flies. flies. You see, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. In joy, we mount up with wings as eagles and we fly. And that's what they did on that day. They had... Uh, been in darkness and they had stepped out on faith and walked out and just when they thought it wasn't going to happen it happened and when we finally get to our text they're flying you see joy lifts you on its wings to God's greatest gift and that is love you see many years even after the time of Moses when Israel found themselves in a similar situation uh, that they were here now in Egypt but now This situation in the future is in Babylon. They were under the same kind of oppression and slavery. Isaiah gave them hope that pierced their darkness too. He said that their day would come. Isaiah's words, like many prophecies, go back and refer to Egypt. They uh, they deal with their current situation and then they go forward to the time of Christ. And Isaiah said it this way, and, and I, we, we did this in our Advent reading, but he said, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them have the light shined. Can you see the picture of hope? We talked about hope lights the light. So, so here Isaiah is telling them, you are in the captivity of the Babylonians. Remember, they hung their harps and they couldn't sing because all of what was gone? All, Everybody say hope. All hope. They were in darkness. But when hope began to be spoken by these prophets, they would say, let me tell you what's going to happen. You see, when Isaiah prophesied this, there wasn't any hope. But he's telling them, he said, they that sat in darkness have seen a great light. Let me tell you what's going to happen. And Isaiah, in his prophecy, began to light the fire of hope. He says, thou hast multiplied the nation, but not increased the joy. What does this sound like? It sounds like what was going on in Egypt. The nation was being multiplied, the nation was growing, God was blessing them, and they were becoming mighty. But what was not being increased? It was the, the joy. The more they multiplied, the more their task became burdensome, and they became slaves, you know? He says, but thou hast uh, <clears throat> thou, the joy according to the day of the joy and harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast, then he says, thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. He's referring to another day of darkness. Do you remember it? Do you remember when the Midianites had oppressed the people of God? And they there arose in the book of Judges a man by the name of Gideon. And if you remember his story, there was no hope, right? And they had oppressed them for year after year, and they'd stolen their food, and they had treated them like dogs, and they had... Uh, oppressed them in several ways but God sent Gideon. And if we remember the way that God brought deliverance for the people was for them to put these uh lights and these lights were inside of jars where they couldn't be seen and they were in darkness and when they boom busted the jars there was great light. Can you see this picture again? What is hope? He's saying go and look. The joy that came in the day of Midian. Why did the joy come in the day of Midian? It came because they were in darkness. And there was a great light. And this great light is being compared to the great light of the coming of our Savior. Every battle is confused with noise. The garments rolled in blood. But this shall be with the burning of fuel and fire. For unto us a child is born. Everybody say, a child is born. born. Unto us a son is given. Everybody say, a son son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. You see, the children of Israel were in darkness. They needed a light to come. The hope was that... The same that it had always been, that a child would be born who would change everything. You see, after Cain killed Abel and the world was plunged into darkness once again in the sadness of Adam and Eve, we talked about this. It wasn't until Seth was born, and after Seth was born, he had a child, and his firstborn child was named Enosh. And what did it say? It said, and then men began to call on the name of the Lord. They got hope when they saw this when a child was born. The earth was again filled with violence and uh, corruption. And it seemed that there was no hope, that, that the animals were violent, that the people were violent, that people were ungodly, so much so that God looked at the world and he said, there's none here worth saving except one. And so God sent that one, Noah, a preacher of righteousness. On and on these times kept coming. One that would come was going to come, who would crush the head of the serpent that had been prophesied, To Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, once that serpent's head would be crushed, there would be a new government. It would be the end of sin and misery and death. Can you imagine the the people of God waited for four thousand years? We don't. We live in a country that is not uh, deeply touched with history. it is, but we maybe don't know the history of it exactly. But but when you go to Europe, you're connected with you meet you know a, a building. You go to a building that's 500 years old, or you go to a building that's a thousand years old, or you see a monument. In our country, things are very young, and so we don't really get the idea of how long four thousand years is. Everybody say four thousand years is a long time. Four thousand years they waited for the coming of Christ, and every time a baby was born, they're thinking, "Is he the one?" Is he going to be the one? And over and again, sometimes they were the one. Sometimes they were the Noahs. And sometimes they were the Enoshes, And sometimes they were Moses. And here we have it. God's people waited 4,000 years for the coming of their Messiah. God had come to their salvation again and again. As we heard in our call to worship in Psalm 106, they understood that not only the need to be saved from Adam's sins, but their own over and again they would be reminded that God would save them in the book of judges it's what the whole book is about person after person after person would come and said and deliver them like gideon right and as gideon would deliver them what would happen then the people would forget god and then they would god would raise up one of Uh, the peoples of the earth whether it be the Hittites or the Philistines or the Midianites or the Amalekites or whoever it was he would raise them up for the point of chastising his people and plunging them into darkness because when they were there they cried out to who they cried out to the Lord they would forget and ultimately find themselves in trouble as we heard in our reading in Exodus chapter 14 Israel was in a serious jam they had come into Egypt after Israel's sons had sold Joseph, their brother, into slavery out of jealousy. But God was merciful to Joseph and to all of them, regardless of their sin. And Joseph forgave them too. You see, Joseph was also a figure of that that, that would save them. They were going to die in a famine in the wilderness. They were one single family. And even through their sin, their sin of jealousy, when they saw the, their brother's coat of many colors and when they saw the favor that their father had Uh, given them they were angry and they were jealous and and even in their sin God used their sin to do what? He used their sin to bring salvation because when they sold him into slavery he ended up in Egypt and ends up to be the prince of all of Egypt and he saves them but his point was to preserve Egypt but now they were there they were in Egypt and uh, here they were maintaining uh, it, it teaches us a separate culture And an identity amidst the Egyptians. God's people grew into the millions. They were there 430 years. You might say, how could could the children of Israel, they were only one family, how could they make it to the point where they could be into the millions? Well, think about our nation. When people came over here on the Mayflower, there were less than 100. There were like 60 some odd people that came. And half of them died the first year. And that that people that came, that founded America, and that established it, have grown into the hundreds of millions of people to be the mightiest nation on earth. So imagine 400, that's twice as long, 430 years in Egypt. How many could there be? Some say between 3 to 5 million. There could have been more. I don't know. Israel's time in Egypt was twice as long as our nation has even existed but as the story of God, as the story goes, another king arose who knew not Joseph. Instead of honoring the Israelite who saved all of Egypt from a great famine, the people of God began to uh, be the worst fear of Pharaoh and the Egyptians—the fear that Israel would defeat them from within—and they responded by enslaving them. You will see this happen in our day. You will see this happening from time to time in nations where the church grows mighty. And the things of God become the prominent things in the world that doesn't serve God and love God. They want to try to put out the candle of the Lord, but they cannot. But here's what they did in Exodus chapter 1. Exodus one eleven says, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh cities of Python and Ramses. Those people that say they like to, to make the Bible out to be some uh, you know fictional story. Folks, the time period... Fixed purpose they, perfectly. They had the city. It's called Pi Ramses. And you can go to Pi Ramses today and you can see the city that our brothers and sisters built. Isn't that amazing? Archaeology is discovering things more and more every day that shows that the biblical stories are incredible uh, and that they are accurate and that they can be verified even through physical means. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more... They multiplied, they spread abroad. The Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, and so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. You see, when the people of God multiplied, and when we have big families, and when we fill the earth with the knowledge of the Lord, and when we refuse to be uh, put under the yoke of their philosophies and their ideas, they don't like it. They'll make fun of us, and they'll put us down, and they'll try to pass laws to imprison us, and maybe that day is coming for us. But we are the people of God, and it is the kingdom of our Lord that we are to submit to. Amen? Amen. They ruthlessly made the children of Israel work as slaves. They made their lives bitter with hard service, it says, in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. and all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Multitudes of Israelites worked to misery and death, and they began to understand that things would not get better. They were only getting worse insomuch that the people of God cried out to God. You see, they not only worked them as slaves, but when that didn't work and they multiplied more, they said, well, we're going to have to kill their children. And like we talked about in week one, uh, the, the hope and the courage of these midwives who were not going to obey Pharaoh, but were going to fear God instead, that lit the light of hope. And the children of Israel began to become emboldened. As Families were built by these sons that were being born and not being cast out. And Moses was one of these sons. His uh, mother and father uh, still obeyed the king's command to throw their child into the river, but they happened to put him in a basket. And, And God used him to be the hope of Israel. Once again, we see an Old Testament prophecy has meaning forward in time and in back. Hosea 11 says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. The more they were called, the more they went away. But they kept sacrificing to Baal. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by the arms. And they did not know that I healed them. And I led them with cords of kindness and with bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke of their jaws. And I bent down to them and I fed them. As we read in Matthew chapter 2, we know that not only is Hosea's prophecy going back to the time of Moses in Egypt, but it's going forward to the book of Matthew into the life of Christ. Matthew chapter 2 says, Mary and Joseph, when they departed, behold, an angel appeared to them and said, Rise and take the child and his mother and flee to where? Where did they go? Everybody say Egypt. And remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and there remained until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill uh, what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt have I called my son. That's Matthew chapter 2, verses 13-15. through 15. If you remember from our first week of Advent, Pharaoh ordered the death of all the male children of Egypt, and Herod would do the same to those in Bethlehem as he tried to stop the coming of a child. You see, our hope is in the children that we keep bringing forth. Amen? Because our children are the hope of the future. And by faith when we raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And we teach them to memorize the scripture. And to hide the words of God in their heart. By faith we pray that God, according to God's word. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. And they, as they get faith what will happen to them? They will step out in faith. And what will we do? It will fill us with joy. When we begin to see in their lives that they're taking what we've taught them and they begin to walk in it and they begin to run in it and eventually they begin to fly. I mean, Christina, can you imagine that one day little Titus is going to be a man of God? That he's going to be raising his children? That he's going to be doing something for the kingdom? And as you get to live to see that that joy, what is it going to do to your heart? What's it going to do to mine? I'm already seeing this start to happen in some of the young people that... Uh, God has given me the young people in my house, you know, my young people. Uh, I've got a whole youth group that lives in my house right now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm having trouble the hope of seeing how I can afford to feed them all uh, as they tramp through. The, and I'm afraid, like, the floor joists are going to come out, you know. They're like running through the house, you know, and they're, they're falling on the furniture, you know, and all this. But I'm saying, I'm saying, one day they're going to do their own thing and they're going to grow up. And, and I got to be a part of Matthew buying his first truck, right? And that truck is going to earn money for you. That money is going to help provide, if it lives till then, right? Uh, <laughs> but, but this is how God gives us hope. He doesn't start off with a Moses, you know, that's like, uh, and, and later you'll see why I say this, was like Gandalf the Great, you know, in the, in the, in the great, you know, the Tolkien uh, story. Huh? Lord of the Rings. I get it confused with the other one. But, but it's not like that. You know, we think of the great powers and these great, you know, whatever. But here we have the little baby. And you have these over and over in the Scripture. God starts with these little children. And so He starts this way in our lives. Not only were they breaking their backs, building pyramids, Ramses, they were ordering the deaths of their children and it was unbearable to them. Can you even picture this? Slavery is bad enough, right? Bitter slavery, but now the death of their children. Now, not only the death of their children, but the plagues. Now, these plagues happened at the whole place where they were. This would be scary. Even though Moses had come and he had told them what he was going to do, and even though he was doing what might even be considered magic tricks today, what was he doing? I mean, frogs were appearing and flies, and uh, the water was changing colors or turning into blood, and all these things were happening, and those were amazing, but they had spent 400 years... We've seen what generational slavery can do to people. And these people did not have hope. They did not see in their future how they could provide a living for themselves. They could not see how that they could be a mighty nation. They were used to being cared for and being fed and being told what to do. They didn't even know what it would be like to own their own home or to uh, provide for their family like that. They were just living under the yoke and the burden of their oppressors. And now they saw the plagues and 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 in the final plague they were told by moses and these people were scared if you don't think they were scared i think you're not remembering the story right these people were told you need to go and you need to eat a lamb and you need to stay inside your house god's gonna send an angel over and if any of you do not do this then your child children are gonna die i mean how many of that would be a little scary to you i would you know we talk about this and we make it into like a Sunday school lesson. You know, it's no big deal. This was terrifying. And so here their lives were changing and they were seeing all these things happen before their eyes. And they told them, they're like, you need to, you need to uh, put the staff in your hand. You need to have your clothes on. You need to be ready to go. God's going to do something. And here they are. And, they, and, and And the morning comes and the great wailing and the crying that happens in Egypt as all of the firstborn of Egypt are dead. And they're hearing the cries of mourning. And, and you might go, oh, they just left their tents, just jubilate. No, they weren't. They left their tents and they had their staffs. So they're like, we got to go. We, we, we don't know exactly where we're going to go. I mean, could you imagine with just, just just one child, Josh, you, baby James and Caitlin, we're going to get a staff and we're going to walk out into the wilderness. We don't know where we're going. We don't know what, how we're going to eat the next day. They, they took enough food to take with them. For a day, remember they they, they didn't have time to even let the bread rise and that's why we eat the unleavened bread at Passover, right? And so they were, they were out there. And so they go out into the desert and they're following this man who's done these great and mighty things and and, and they're hoping that it's all going to work out but it didn't work out like they planned. They thought they were just going to walk away but that's not what happened. Here they were walking away in this great multitude and they didn't know where they were going to go or how they were going to live or what they were going to do. And all of a sudden, the Egyptians get angry and the Egyptians get their army and they get their chariots and they get their horses and they start coming. Could you imagine that, Benita? What are we going to do? We don't have bows and arrows and swords and we don't know how to fight and and we don't have an army. What are we going to do? And do you remember what what we read in our reading today? What did he say? They said, they said, we could have just died slaves. That would have been better off. But no, no, now we're going to go out and die in the wilderness. And we're probably going to starve to death or they're going to kill us out here. What are we going to do? And there's like, and he goes, you guys need to you stand still and see the salvation of our God. And as Steve was reading that, I am trying to, you know, see this in the light that it really was. They're afraid. They're out there. And what does God do? So the army's coming, and they're like, well, we'll go this way. And they see they're boxed in. And, I mean, there's no road through the sea. There's no bridge. And now they just don't know what to do. And God says, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put forth your staff. Now, did God need Moses to put his staff forth? Did did Moses have a magical staff from the Lord of the Rings? No. No. Okay, what, you know, you ever watch these movies, you know, and it's like they concentrate all their powers together, you know, they're like, "Mm -hmm," you know, and if they, and if they hone their chi, and if they focus just right, and if they get it all perfect, then the miracle happens, right? No, Moses had no superpower. He was not an Avenger or whatever. He was not one of those people. He was just a guy who stuttered, a guy who said, God, you could probably pick anybody better than me. I'm wanted for murder in my home country. You want me to go back to the place where I'm wanted for murder? You want me to lead the people I can't even talk to because I can't even talk? And God says, you're the perfect guy. (laughs) Now I need you to lift forth your staff. Look at what he has. He says, what's in your hand? That's a whole message right there. What is in your hand? You see, he had a staff. He said, God didn't. It could have been anything in his hand. What's in your hand? Your cell phone. That's what's in our hand most of the time, right? What's in your hand? My cell phone. What's in your hand? He's got a staff in his hand. All right, stretch that forth. God wasn't like, man, I'm glad you got the super special uh, staff that was, you know, bathed, you know, in elfin technology for 400 years and it's ready for... No, nothing like this. Just take your staff and reach it out and watch what God does. You see, God needed the people to believe in Moses. The way that that chapter ends, it says, and and, and the people believed in God and in Moses. Everybody say, they believed in God and in Moses. See, Moses was the child that gave them hope. He was the child that grew up to show them how to walk by faith. And now he was going to be the child that takes them from walking and even running by faith, and he was going to show them how to fly. You see, what God was going to do was the impossible. You might go, well, people can't fly. Well, people can't walk across Red Seas either. People can't. People can't, like Peter did, get out of a boat and walk on the water. So what was he doing? God was teaching them about what he does. And what he does isn't just... uh, God is not a subsistence God. We used to, early on, we, we, we would pray that God would just provide so we didn't, you know, so we didn't starve to death and we didn't lose our house, you know? Because we thought it was selfish asking for more than that. But you know what I found out, Steve? You know, God, God just doesn't take us and, and take us from being crippled and, and, and help us to walk. He doesn't just take us from being crippled and teach us to walk and then maybe even run. But what God does is God can take people and He can make us fly. Isn't that what the Bible says? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall walk and not be weary. They shall run and not faint. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. Here they are boxed in with nowhere to go. Plagues are one thing, but millions of people with no weapons, nowhere to go. Seemingly no hope. And then the sea parts. They walk through on dry land and the Egyptians follow them. I mean, this is, to me, this is almost like, uh, did you guys ever watch Back to the Future? And I know I must be on a movie thing today. I'm sorry. At every moment you think it's going to be okay, another thing happens. The clock breaks and the thing is like just more and more and more. This is a way more dramatic story. Okay, so here they have their boxed in. The Red Sea opens. They walk through on dry land. You think, and that's it, and the credits roll. Oh, no, here comes Pharaoh, and they're going across. Would you ever imagine, Derek, being the Egyptians, that you would be brave enough to just go ahead, and you see God work a miracle, and there's walls of water on both sides, and say, I think I'll walk through that. I mean, these guys had some serious pride. We're just going to go on through, you know, and God counted on it. And as they came and they came walking across, this was all part of God's plan. Could you imagine seeing this with your eyes? I can't. But I can tell you what. I know what it would I know what would happen if I did. If I had been in generational slavery for 400 years, if my children and I mean, can you imagine just could you imagine if our government took just one child in your family and just Uh, Well, he's a boy. We're just going to kill him. Could you imagine? Could any of you ever get over that? No. This is a whole nation full of people whose children had killed, whose slavery had wrecked their lives. They had probably separated families. They had beaten them and hurt them. And here they were now, walking across, and they're looking down. And I I love it it says they're looking down, because that's what they would be doing, right? There are people who say, well... You know they try to explain the Bible through all these natural terms. Like when you know when they talk about the burning bush, they're like, "Did you know that out in in, uh, in Israel there is a bush that does burn? You guys know about this? There is a bush that spontaneously combusts. There's oil on it, and it's a weird thing, and it literally catches on fire. And so they go, well, the burning bush that you know Moses saw, it was one of those bushes. So then they get to the Red Sea and they explain that there's a certain part of the Red Sea that's shallower than other parts, and there are times when the wind blows a certain way and this thing happens and there's you could actually walk across in certain parts and that's what they'll they'll tell you but steve I'm going to tell you right now if there was water there and and the wind blew okay they wouldn't be walking through on dry land right but that's what it says so so this was it says and there wouldn't be and no there's no you know, meteorological phenomenon that will part a Red Sea to where there's a wall on both sides and you can walk through. This never happens. So when it says they look down, it's what it would be. If they walked through a deep sea where there could be walls, they would be looking down at Egypt and they would see, and it must have been huge. I mean, what could, how could you fit an entire army in there? But it says they were, they were all down in there, and so they're looking down. I can't even comprehend this. And I love what God told Moses to tell them. He said, you see you see these Egyptians? The ones that you can see right now? You'll never see them again. <laughs> they couldn't comprehend this. You know, I can see how a guy might be able to turn some water from one color to another. I can see where we might get a lot of flies. I can see, but, but you're going to kill an entire army in one day. Yep. All at once God destroys them right in their eyes. He kept them alive by faith. They walked across land. Some no doubt ran, but now on the other side they were dancing, they were singing, and they were flying high in the joy of the Lord. Joy. Everybody say joy. joy. Had given them wings. Moses said to the people of Israel, and he sang a song. He said, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. And if you think this was... If you think Moses was calm about this, then I think you're wrong. If you think that Miriam, when she grabbed the tambourine and ran with the people, if you think that somehow... She was just kind of like, I'd just like to thank the Lord for the horse and the rider. (laughs) Thrown into the sea, it was a really good time. I mean, that's not what happened. (laughs) She was running and they were dancing. And can you imagine a nation of people in mass running and jumping and praying and and thanking God? And while they're doing it, they're looking over at floating garments of Egyptians. and, 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 And they're just kind of like, this is utterly amazing. The Lord is a man of war, it says in his song. He said, the Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down to the depths like a stone. This sounds like a gloating song, does it not? your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy in the greatness of your majesty you overflow your adversaries you send out your fury and it consumes them like stubble Moses is said to be the most meek man who ever lived and he's pounding and pounding if he had a pulpit, he's pounding it and he's pounding it if he had a microphone, he was probably running and singing in your greatness, O majesty you overthrew them, O God They're like stubble. The blast of your nostrils, the water piled up and the flood stood up in a heap. And the deeps uh, congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have my fill of these Israelites. I will draw my sword, my hand will destroy them. But what did you do, O God? You blew with your wind. And the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them up. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength and by your holy abode. I think it's amazing that when Moses sang, he said it was God who stretched forth his right hand. It was Moses, right? But what did Moses know? I just got a stick. I just have a dead piece of wood is all I got, but what I have is I have God. The peoples heard, they trembled. Trembling has seized the inhabitants of all of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling has seized the leaders of Moab, and the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread will fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by. Till the people pass by whom you have purchased. Can you imagine? Do you see what he's singing? He's like, you know what happened after this? When when the people saw this and they witnessed this with their eyes that our enemies were terrified. Pastor Nang Tong told me him him and his sister when they were little were walking and they looked up and there was a Bengal tiger. And he said, and we were told when we do it, they said, you have to stop and stay still as a stone and you cannot breathe if you breathe they will smell your breath and you will die. And when I read this I was thinking like this is this is what Nang Tong was talking about. This picture is they'll stand still like a stone. And they'll stand they won't move until you pass by. Nang Tong held his sister's mouth, she was a little girl. He held her mouth to where she couldn't breathe so much to where she passed out. And he said if I would have let my hand off of her we would have both been eaten by the tiger. You see, they saw Israel as danger, danger, danger to them. And so it said, they'll stand still until you are passed by. You will bring them in and plant them on your mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode and sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and horsemen went to the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. And many people call this the song of Miriam because she sang it too. But this is not the song of Miriam. It's the song of Moses. Because verse 20 says, which we read from our text. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the tambourine in her hand, and all the women went after her with tambourines and dancing, and Miriam sang a song. And what song is she singing? But the song that Moses sang. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider thrown into the sea. I had First Peter read for us today because I thought it would give us a picture. You see, we're not having to wait anymore for the coming of Messiah because he already came. Amen? The child that we were waiting to be born has been born. And this child has been born. And although he was little, and although he seemed powerless, and although it seemed as though that the great and mighty Roman Empire stood head and shoulders above every one of God's people, there came a day when the Roman Empire has been toppled by this little child. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 says that we are God's elect according to His foreknowledge. That he has sanctified us by his spirit, that we have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, and that grace and peace has been multiplied. That we, it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. Everybody say a lively hope. Lively. See, yes, we are still in the midst of darkness, but what do we have to light it up? We've got a lively hope. You see, their hope was one that hadn't been born, that was to come. But we have a lively hope because we have the living Christ, amen? Amen. By the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith and salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein you greatly rejoice. Everybody say, rejoice. Rejoice. Though now for a season, He's telling them that He's given us hope that we're going to walk with Him. And when we have hope that makes not a shame, His lively hope that is real and that is abiding, that we can walk by faith and it should give us joy. We should give us joy that won't fade away. If I live my life every day worrying that if I did it just right, if I behaved just so, If I get it just right, I get to go to heaven one day. If I live my life like that, what kind of joy could I ever have? But you see, the joy that I have today is that I have an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, that's already reserved in heaven for me. Not because I did it right, not because I can do it right, but because He has done it right. Amen? And so our abiding joy isn't that yesterday we failed and we hit our you know, finger w- uh, with a hammer and we said the wrong word or we yelled at our children or we weren't kind to our wife that we should be and now God's going to get us. No. You see, what happened time and again is because God was faithful to Himself. It says because of His kindness to us and because of His desire to make faithful His words to us that God accomplishes these things. We are kept, it says verse five, by the power of God. How many are worried that if the power of God is keeping you, that somehow you're not going to make it? I'm not worried. If I'm being kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation that's ready revealed to the last day, verse six, wherefore you greatly rejoice, though now for a season. Verse seven that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than that of gold, though it perishes be tried by the fire, might be found to the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Christ whom having not seen you love, in whom though now you see him not, yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Can we say thanks be to God? You see, the joy that we have is not a joy that can fade away. We need to understand that we need to keep offering hope to our church, to our nation, to our families. That hope lights the way... And we, by faith, teach our children. We, by faith, walk out and do difficult things. And when we see God that He always shows up, God that He's always faithful to His Word, then what do we do? We joy. And what did we do yesterday, guys? Did we have a good time? We joyed and we rejoiced and we danced and we ate and we feasted because the Bible says, with the righteous, it is a continual feast. May we feast on joy today together as we joy In the hope of our salvation, which is Christ, the King of glory. Can we say thanks be to God? God. Heavenly Father, may we be people filled with joy. May that joy lift us on wings to love. Lord, as we love one another and uh, the people around us, O God, may it be a light in the world that our good works may glorify you, Lord, and that men would come to the knowledge of your faithfulness, Lord, through our lives. Lord, we are thankful, Lord, that you have loved us with an everlasting love and that you have taken out the stony hearts out of us and and given us tender hearts of flesh, that you have written your laws upon our hearts and that you have made us your people. And we are joyful in this and we know, Lord, that no one and nothing can take us out of your hand. In Christ's name we pray and all the church said, Amen. Amen. Amen.